Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 284. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're inviting back guest Hillary Hendershot, and it's really nice to have her on the show and talk about some common mistakes that women make. But for the guys out there, I think you'll find this interesting too. There's lots of great information in here, how to talk with your spouse about money, all kinds of interesting advice that Hillary gives us. I know you'll love it. Here we go. Well, I'm so excited to welcome back to the show, Hillary Hendershot. How are you, Hillary? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Linda. Oh, it's so great to have you back. We had so much fun having you on the show before. I thought we got to have you back one more time. That is just really my my blessed opportunity. Thanks. I've really enjoyed talking with your audience. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about the financial mistakes that women should stop making. So tell me more about that. So I think in, in my in my practice, I am especially inspired to work with women. And that's not an exclusion of men. And I know there are a lot of men that listen to this show. Um, but, you know, women, we have our own sort of gender-based kind of issues around money. Again, not to speak in stereotypes and nothing is universal. But, for example, women really struggle with having a financial vision. And you could call this money mindset. You could call this belief in yourself. But um, women really underestimate how much financial success is actually possible, how much for most people, a la, you know, the millionaire next door, financial success is really a habit of a daily and monthly and quarterly practices that grows your wealth slowly over time. Now, everyone doesn't earn and grow wealth slowly. Some people like entrepreneurs have really big lumpy financial events in their life. But for most people, um, being financial freedom is very in our reach. And, you know, for example, I used to mentor at an inner city high school here in San Jose. And one of the things that we made sure we talked about with these low income kids who were living four and five kids in a one bedroom apartment was um, that college is accessible for you. You know, you can get in. It's easier than you think to get a scholarship. And there are like lots of ways to get it paid for. And, you know, one of the things that we know is that just having that message communicated in a credible way is the thing that makes the difference for some people who become willing to go for it. And so in the same way, you know, I really want to encourage women like, look, there's a lot of empowered voices out there teaching financial health for you, for, for women and for everyone that you can, you know, easily get attached to one of those voices and live into that vision instead of maybe a broken or disempowered one from your past. Um, that, you know, we have 
we have to, we often have to overcome huge internal obstacles and there's a lot of stories out there in the media about how women are disadvantaged when it comes to money people talk about things like the fact that we live longer we tend to take time off work to raise kids um, we now there's this you know, wage gap and I mean those things may be true from a macro perspective but living into that or living underneath the weight of that, it really doesn't empower you at all. So I I don't tend to talk about those things because there's really nothing to do from a personal finance perspective except um, maximize your income, get some technical skills so that you can earn and command a high wage and make sure that you're saving a portion of your income to build wealth and financial freedom for yourself. And this all really ties into what is your money operating system, those money scripts that we all are are formulated with our our money lives are run by and you know you might find that you have a money script called there's never enough money that's a really popular one and it's not true there's infinite wealth in the world i mean you on this show talk all the time about central banks and the creation of cash and currency and you know the 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 governments are not stopping printing money anytime soon it's really hard for us as human beings to get our brains around how much money there is in the world and you need just a little portion of that for yourself um and you know so i guess you know the point is it really is um possible for you that that this money game is not a zero sum game that you earning money and building wealth is not you taking it away from someone else right that every time you do a transaction where you trade services or product or wage you know your hours for money you create value on both sides of the line and um, that's really a beautiful thing and so I like to start every discussion with mindset or vision and you know in coaching Linda as you know I'm sure um, everything starts with goals. If you don't, if the, the person who's being coached doesn't have a goal that they're working toward, then there's nothing to coach. So uh, it's important to really put a stake in the ground. And if it's vague for you in the beginning to decide, look, I'm going to achieve financial freedom, that's enough because those vague, those vague ideas and goals become concrete over time. Absolutely. And two things that you said really stand out for me. The first is the belief that you can do it. And that is so important. I always say step one to becoming wealthy is creating a wealthy mindset and having that belief and certainty, making the decision to become wealthy, but mm-hmm. really just knowing it's already within you. Like everything you need is already within you. You don't have to, you know, other than knowledge, but, you know, Oprah was always Oprah before she became a billionaire, right? She didn't have to change, you know, her identity. She just had to you know, continue on the path that she had and, uh, and follow that and follow her vision. And that, you know, evolved into success for her. And right. then the other thing is, is that wealth is a series of steps. It is something that's doable for everyone. Even people who don't make a lot of money can become wealthy because like you said, you can follow certain steps, do certain things right. If you do those things right, you can build wealth. If you are doing things that uh, don't make your money grow and that fritter away money or that are bad decisions or things that, you know, don't result in positive outcomes, then definitely that's not going to build your wealth. But there are a series of things that you can do that are going to build your wealth. 
And all of those things come ultimately from our thoughts and emotions. Thoughts and emotions are very inextricably intertwined and I don't not I'm not an expert on that topic and don't want to get into it on this on this show but ultimately you have a thought or a feeling and then an action that ensues from that and for example I used to have the thought there's never enough money and so when money would come into my life I felt strongly that I needed to buy luxury items so that I could feel rich in an environment a personal financial environment where I was the opposite of rich. And, you know, I've shifted those thoughts, but I've also recognized that those thoughts, the thoughts preceded the actions. And so I think we don't realize what we set our mind loose on convincing ourselves of when we do it, that your brain is like this task-oriented computer. And if you're looking for evidence that there's not enough money, then you're going to find it and you're going to create situations where it's true. And I, I always invite people in the very beginning, if you can't, for example, if, if I were to pose the question to you, you know, how can I double my income? The, if, the, if I were to p- p- propose to you that that would be a good question for your brain to go to work on, um, uh, you know, that can replace things like, well, I don't make enough money. I don't have the right education. I don't have the right background. I don't have any more time. The, those, th- those thoughts are fundamentally disempowering and that your brain can really go to work on the question, you know, how can I double my income or how can I make sure to have a million dollars in my a million dollar investment? net worth in seven years. I mean, that question would lead you on all kinds of journeys and into new conversations and into new relationships that would ultimately um, be fruitful. And so replacing a disempowered statement or certainty with a question is really a great way to start that. I, I am not someone who has found uh, that m- mantras or so just repeating things to yourself that you don't really believe um, can be helpful. Instead, I like to set my, my mind to work on a, on a good meaty question like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's not to say that you can't have nice things. If you want the nice designer handbags, well, I think there's the a Well, at the time, good... I didn't have enough income. Right now, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean for, for our listeners, you know, you can always get what you want. I say buy it at the right price. So they can always buy it, right. you know, maybe pre-owned uh, in good condition. And and the thing is, you know, you don't need a whole closet full of them. Maybe you need, you know, one, you can only carry one handbag at a time. So you don't need to have 10. You know, you can have that one or two handbags and then invest the rest of the money that you would have put into handbags. And I always think about that episode of um, Sex in the City with Carrie Bradshaw, and she wanted to buy a condo and she couldn't afford it. And then she realized she had like $40,000 invested in her shoes that was the down payment that she needed for her condo and so that's the opportunity cost right so if we make if we if we have priorities in terms of what we want but then we keep that longer term vision of we want to be financially independent financially free then we can do that by making the right choices right Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you bring up Carrie Bradshaw because I remember an article about that show and about how Carrie's lifestyle was portrayed in a particular way. And the the journalist or researcher had figured out what it would take for Carrie to live the life that she lived with all the brand name shoes and purses, which she was not buying pre-owned, by the way. And, you know, it it came out to be something like she needed to have an income of a quarter million dollars a year, you know, as a freelance writer, which wasn't going to happen in New York City. 
to to, to live the life that she uh, was living. And so someone came on my podcast, Profit Boss Radio, and was talking about how this uh, we as women have a bigger, stronger tendency to emulate or want to create as role models the women we see on television and how Carrie Bradshaw and even the stars of the um, what's the legal show? I, I, I can blanking on the name of the show now, but um, there's a show where they're all first year law clerks and everyone on that show is gorgeous and wearing these um, brand, you know, perfect runway brand name clothing and how we have to be careful speaking of financial mistakes women should never make is like emulating who you see on television. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think they play in our fantasies, though, too. I think I think they know a woman's fantasy is to have all those things, and so they just put it on television and play in our fantasies. Exactly. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a self reinforcing spiral. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard of Sarah Blakely, but she. I mean, speaking of the vision, you know, like any anything is possible. You mentioned Oprah Winfrey, who I absolutely adore. Uh, Sarah was also came from ordinary beginnings. She was raised in Clearwater. Florida. Her dad was a trial attorney, um, and her, I think her mother was an artist. And then she decided she wasn't qualified to go to law school. She was like, I'm not smart enough. So she started working as a stand-up comedian. And when she was 27, she spent $5,000 of her own savings researching this hosiery, hosiery product that she had an idea for. And she had to beat feet down the street. She was walking that product into uh, department stores, and it was ultimately Neiman Marcus she followed the buyer into the bathroom and tried on her spanks underneath a pair of white pants to show this person what they look like, which finally got her placement at a department store. Uh, you know, fast forward many years, now she's a billionaire, and Forbes, you know, calls her one of the most powerful women in the world. And that, I mean, it's those kind of stories that really are the epitome of uh, sort of the American dream. You don't have to become a billionaire to become financially free. Um, but there was nothing extraordinary in Sarah's background that lent itself to thinking, well, this is a future, this is a future billionaire, right? Exactly. And I love what you said about Sarah and how you brought her up because she is one of my heroes too. And I did a podcast about her. But one thing that was really interesting we're talking about mistakes, and did you hear her talk about her dad taught her to make mistakes? And he would ask her, what's the mistake you made today? And he would try and reward her for making mistakes so that she wouldn't be afraid to make a mistake. And she would realize that a mistake is just something that's getting you closer to your goal faster. And so fail fast and make those mistakes, but then learn from them and pick yourself up and keep moving forward. So I, I love that, and that was really inspiring to me. I love that. And the, I think the converse of that is I really think that people in in some areas of life, people are too focused around, I can never make a promise that I don't already know how to fulfill on. So I can't make a big promise or I can't take on a goal because if I fail, then I'm a failure or I don't want to you know, not keep my word. And I think that's a mistake. I think, you know, in some areas of life, yeah, sure. You just do what you say you'll do and do it by when you said you'd do it. But especially if you're being entrepreneurial, man, you have got to take on projects, programs, and goals that you have no idea how to accomplish. Otherwise, how do you expand yourself? That's right. And that's one of the things, you know, you think about like a Mark Zuckerberg or any entrepreneur that's gone from 
you know, concept to huge success. I mean, they've had to navigate all of these things that they didn't know how to do. I mean, they've had to, you know, run a big company, essentially, and start from scratch and hire all the employees and the infrastructure and the sales and the marketing team and the, you know, accounting office and just all of that stuff. And they didn't have any idea how to do it. And so it's just, and and that to me is kind of exciting, just taking that challenge and doing things you've never done before and sort of Uh like learning as you go along and growing. Because I think personal growth is one of the things that is really satisfying to me is just to, to learn and advance and grow as a person. So... Well, and that whole idea of, so first of all, I'll bet that for Mark Zuckerberg, it doesn't feel as pretty as it looks from the outside on the inside, right? Because you're right. He went from being, you know, an an sort of engineering geek at Harvard to running this billion dollar company. And so he really had to, uh, you know, rely on... um, rely on people to, to do things for him, to come up underneath him and to build structure around him. And I think as women, we are maybe brought into the world. I think that there is a general disposition towards, um, especially women who are Gen Xers or maybe older than Gen X is like money. You don't need to worry about it. Not really your thing. It's not really feminine or, you know, you might offend your boyfriend or partner if you are financially powerful. And so, what I see is a lot of people, a lot of women, let someone else take the reins. And I think that that can be a mistake. I think that letting your dad run your financial life or letting your husband run your financial life is a setup for failure. I, I really can't tell you how many women I've met who through divorce or death, and I'm sorry to bring that up, but it is a reality of life in your partnership, someone's going to die first, um, that they find themselves not only grieving with lots of overwhelming emotion, but also inside a financial uh, financial picture that they don't understand. You would be surprised how many people don't know where the accounts are, don't know how much is in them, don't know how they're titled, don't know what to expect as far as what you know? What does this resource mean to me? Um, and it's just—it's a very painful situation. So I always talk about you know letting someone else completely take the reins in your life is probably a mistake that you'll regret. Um, now, in every in every relationship, there's one person who takes more care of the money than the other person, and it's okay to not be the quarterback or the you know the chief financial officer, but you know know what's happening, know what the plan is. Is. Know what, what, how much are you saving every year? Know where the money lives. Know the name of the institution or the financial advisor, right? Um, um, check your bank account transactions every day, right? <clears throat> so, so what's a good way for women to tell their spouse that they want to do that without it seeming strange or weird or uncomfortable? You know, like, honey, I want to know where all the money is. I mean, how do, what's a good way for them to sort of transition into that conversation? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to put myself in that person's position. So I think I would say, uh, you know, I am really just looking at how I've been being about the money. I feel like maybe I've been a teeny bit uh, out of the know. Maybe even you could say irresponsible. So I want to take responsibility. And um, I just want to understand where the resources are. I want to know where the streams of money are are every month. So um, can we have a, a money date? 
can we set up on Sunday nights that, um, you know, once a month we look at the investments or, um, you know, hey, I, I, I kind of know there's a couple bank accounts out there that I don't really have access to. Or can I, you know, can I, can, can I see the statements? Can we put it all together in a binder so that if something were to happen to you, I would be armed with the information that I need? And, you know, God forbid, like assets get forgotten. You know, if you don't know where a bank account lives and you never go look for the money, um, that money eventually gets forfeited. That's a 100% loss, and that's, you know, not good. And most most husbands who run the money for their wives don't do it out of control or manipulation. or It's not—and they, they may be sort of the perpetrators of this gender bias, but we are too. I mean, it's, this is not a blame game. And so most husbands, when asked the question, are more than happy to um, provide the information. Yeah, I think so too. And I think— you know, women need to have kind of an open mind and get interested because sometimes it can be a little dry and boring. And so do you have any suggestions about how to kind of keep it interesting and spice it up a little bit so that it's not just (laughs) about like looking at statements and numbers and that kind of thing, but really putting like attaching their future dreams and their lifestyle and what, you know, where, when they want to retire, how they want to retire and, you know, putting a picture to it, I think is a really good thing for couples to do and talking about how they want to retire and things like that is, is that kind of, you know, what you think about like that conversation, that date night? Yeah, I think that you should have different conversations about what's the ultimate vision? What are we providing for our children? What are we providing for ourselves? You know, what kind of luxuries do we want to have in our future? What um, kind of budget do we see ourselves being on? What kind of trips can we take in five years or 10 years? Um, And then other conversations like, what's our investment philosophy? What are we doing inside these accounts? How much are we paying in fees and costs? How much are we paying in transactions costs? Um, where does the money live? Like, so the, the I, I don't know if that's saucy or juicy or spicy, but um, <laughs> I, I'm so, this is what I, I feel like this is what I tell people all the time is you need to know where it lives, how much it costs and what's going on in there. Um, but, you know, for example, I had an appointment with a client today and she's kind of figured out that uh, for every about million dollars she's got in a diversified investment portfolio, she can draw about $50,000 of annual income and they're young and healthy and then they've got a bunch of real estate. And so her knowing that payout number has given her the vision to say, you know what, this real estate is actually not, this particular real estate investment is not cash flowing for me. I'm not getting any income from it. So why don't we sell it and move it over? And and then we can increase our quality of life, uh, you know, over the long haul. I mean, these two people, they, they climb mountains to raise money to do heart replacements for children in sub-Saharan Africa. They're just amazing people. And so she has a big vision. And so, you know, when you said vision, that just came to my mind is like, it's very clear for her 
the trade-off between X and Y. And so getting to know those trade-offs is like, here's what's possible if it's in this kind of account. If it's just sitting in cash, you know, here's what my lifestyle is going to look like 10 years from now versus if it's invested well, here's what's possible for me down the road. I don't know if that answers your question. I, I don't I think my answer was very organized, but I do think that gives you a sense of what a vision can provide. Oh, yeah, I think it was great. And especially that 50000 per million dollars, I think that gives people a lot of clarity to understand that, you know, in this low interest rate environment, that's even, you know, a very generous uh, income right now, income stream from a million dollars. And it's something people need to realize that if you want to keep your income stream going and not tap into the principal, you're going to have to be sensitive to, you know, four to 5% return for that. So that I think is really helpful for people. Yeah. And that actually is, I mean, most financial advisors really can only pay about a 3% consistent annualized income. And so I, I sort of knew you would hear that number. And so because the portfolios I use have lower volatility and higher returns and are lower cost than most of the other retail portfolios out there, we're able to raise people's retirement income. And even though 5% doesn't sound like a ton, it's a lot more than 3%. The difference between $30,000 a year and fifty. $50,000 a year feels like a lot for people in retirement. So, so I'm proud of that. And, um, and it's, 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 a, it's a, a shake better than what most portfolios can do. Absolutely. That's a huge difference. Huge difference. <laughs> and so that, I think that really leads to one of the other mistakes that I see people making, and especially women, is not getting professional advice. And I think that investments and financial planning is a very technical topic, and a lot of people like to DIY a lot of things in their life. But um, that when it comes to this area of life, you know, for example, I don't fly the plane when I get on it. I don't formulate my um, for my prescription meds and I don't do my own brain surgery uh, but I do do I do offer um, professional financial advice for people who who want to get it and so um, no but of course I'd be biased saying that because I make money doing that so I of course want to make sure I'm providing value so I wanted to share with you the results of a research study that was done on people and various ways of saving money Money. So, in 2008, two researchers named Michael Fink and Terrence Martin used data from the National Longitudinal Survey, and they said, "Okay, let's take a bunch of people from age 43 to 50, and let's look, we'll look at what they do with $50,000." over 16 years. And so they took four groups of people. Uh, first group were people who have a comprehensive advisor, so someone looking at the bigger picture and the investment portfolio. The second group is people who have a broker. That's someone that just manages the portfolio. Third people don't uh, third group of people don't have an advisor, but did estimate their retirement needs. So they at least they have some of that vision that you and I were talking about. And the fourth group is people that don't have an advisor and don't uh, estimate their retirement needs. Now, they um, tracked $50,000 from 1994 to 2008 and found that the people with no advisor and no strategic view had the same $50,000. So they didn't grow it at all. Those with a strategic view, just because they estimated their retirement needs, grew the money to $100,000. So goals matter. And those who had a broker 
grew the money to just under $150,000, but those with a comprehensive financial advisor working as their partner grew their $50,000 in assets to more than $200,000 on average. So that's a 4X multiple over 16 years on average. And not only that, but a 14-year longitudinal study by Vanguard estimated that investors working with an advisor generate an additional 3% per year in returns. And um, just to give you a sense of the importance of that, if you invested $100,000 for 20 years at 5%, you'd have 265 at the end. But if you got those three additional points of return, that would give you more than $466,000. So that's more than a $200,000 payout on the original investment from partnering with a professional. And you know, not only that, but a good financial advisor can provide help in decision-making to keep your financial life simple and profitable and elegant and keep you on track to um, achieve your goals. So getting back to this idea that people really like to DIY things in their life, you know, investing is much more complicated than just buying two mutual funds and setting it and forgetting it. And, um, you know, I know that, you know, you're teaching investment strategies and, and so you get it because you, you are, the, you know, you are a professional in a particular way in people's lives, um, that the stock market, you know, there are people who do this full time and, um, and it's unlikely that if you're doing it passively or on the weekends, that your your returns are going to justify not hiring or working with a professional. Exactly. Well, I think you make a really good case for working with a professional. And I, I do encourage people to work with advisors. I think that they add a lot of value. And I think you've you know really shown um, a lot of great ideas. And the fact that you can help people get more retirement income is certainly a great thing and a huge differentiator. So that's really awesome. Is there anything else in terms of the mistakes that women make before we go to a more positive frame of mind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it dovetails on the last uh, the, the last thing I was talking about, about, about getting professional advice. But um, for example, I interviewed the researchers out of BlackRock Investments about a survey that they recently did. And what they found amongst women investors is pretty consistent. What we find across the board is that women tend to keep their money in cash, not as a strategy, but out of fear. And so I always say, you know, not finding a profitable way to invest in the stock market is really a mistake that it literally costs you money over time. It can cost you hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. Most of us will never be financially free without the compound returns offered by a good investment portfolio. And I know that there, you know, can be a lot of stress and anxiety about, you know, taking that first step or it can seem confusing and overwhelming, but there really are ways to learn and train yourself and um, maybe partner with someone to to manage that bit for you. Um, but, and I honestly think like if I had a professional mission in life, it is to, it is to really produce a sea change, be a part of the voices of women who are wanting to produce a sea change amongst women investors that we've got to take the reins and build our wealth and, and create financial freedom for ourselves. So there you have it. Well, that's certainly an uh, admirable goal. And I think you're well on your way to doing that already. So that's awesome with your podcast. So very cool. So Hillary, what do women do right? 
So women are very focused on the goals that they want to accomplish in life. And I really think that that is a feather in our cap. So for example, um, you know, you talked about how do I make a dry topic really interesting to myself? Well, what we found is that for the most part, women attach their financial resources to the things in life that they love, vacations, their kids, the, the, the health and longevity of their marriage. And that tends to be um, a really strong motivator, especially during tough times, to keep going, to keep saving, to stay on track, to um, sort of face the market or the economy when it can feel like it's a downturn and it's scary. And that's that consistency, as we've touched on, is really, really important. So um, I find that women are tenacious. Once, once there is a goal, they're... Uh, they're like a dog with a bone. They're not letting it go. <laughs> and so that's a, you know, you know, pat yourself on the back if you are chasing the dream. I love it. Hillary, how can people find Profit Boss Radio? Well, if you have room in your podcast lineup, I would love it if you would come visit us at Profit Boss Radio. You can find the podcast anywhere you access podcasts. Just search for Profit Boss Radio. You can also find my website and make a complimentary appointment with me if you'd like to discuss any of the things we talked about today at Hillary. Hendershot.com. And that's Hillary with one L and two T's. Fantastic. And I'll put a live link on my website too. So it'll go right to your website. Thanks. Hillary, thank you so much for being on the show. You're just always a pleasure to talk with. You have so much great information. And more importantly, I think you're really a resource for women who are looking for an advisor who can really speak their language, understand them and help them move forward. That is what my goal is to be. Thank you, Linda. It's, it's really a pleasure to be um, part of your show and, and speak to your audience. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.